Hi everybody, this is Charlie Epstein here and welcome to Killing Retirement. This is the show, the podcast that really is focused at breaking down this old paradigm, this ancient notion that we have, at least here in this country, that you work your whole life and then one day, someday you retire to this other life and hopefully everything turns out. And really what I'm up to here in Killing Retirement is I want to be known as the man in America that kills this notion of retirement, that kills this old-fashioned notion that we have that someday, one day, things just stop or you transition and somehow give up everything you did before. And that's just not what it should be about. In my book, Paychecks for Life, I use the concept called desirement planning. And that is really about having people begin to dream about and think about what is it that you really desire to do most in your life? And imagine if your whole life was dedicated to that search and pursuit of the things that drive you, that you're passionate about, and really turn you on about life. And it's a never-ending journey as opposed to, oh, well, someday I got to this place called retirement and the game is over. So we're really opening you up to our world and your world of new ideas, new ways of viewing life, living in this expanding world that we are uh, really faced with and the fact that we're all living longer and healthier lives and really about supporting you being at your best. And, you know, part of living your best life is also about having balance. It's about having focus in your work life and your relationships. In fact, there's one of the longest running studies on happiness directly links a person's happiness with their ability to have meaningful relationships. They've even done studies that married couples live longer than single couples. And I'm a lucky man since I'm married to the love of my life. She works with me. We work together. We laugh. We cry. We fight. We argue. And we've decided to live to 147. So on that note, part of all of that is, you know, somebody once said to me, well, God, Charlie, you sound like it's all about life is perfect. And you know what? It's not. And today, I'm really excited. Our guest, Chloe Taylor Brown, because we're going to really talk about that life sometimes gets messy, that life is not this perfect straight line. And it's what you do with what life deals to you, what life presents you, and how you respond to that. And my guest today is a very dynamic individual very successful, very, very powerful woman who shares her power, who shares the light that she's discovered in life. And part of that comes from really the life that she's lived and experienced. So Chloe Taylor Brown, welcome to Killing Retirement. Thank you so much, Charlie. I'm happy to be with you today. Yeah, it's just so wonderful. And I know we're going to talk a little about how you've coped with loss in your life and relationships and how you keep that light going inside you and how you really are a radiant leader to men and women. And I know primarily a lot of your work, as we were talking earlier, is about with women and young women. And you have this thing called girl swag, which I can't wait to get into. But you really are someone that's become a lifelong mentor to young women and girls around the world. You're recognized as a leading transformational lifestyle coach. And I know today we're going to share a little bit about your recent book, How to Laugh Again While Grieving. So why don't we start with where it all started? How did you get to this place? Okay, where it started. Well, I think that we bring a lot from our childhood, whether we know it or not. And I grew up in rural Mississippi, one of eight children, third oldest. 
two older brothers, then Chloe, and then two younger brothers, and then three little sisters. Our mother died when I was 13 in a car crash. And that was very tragic, of course. And it seemed to even be more tragic that the day that my mom died, we all went to my grandmother's house. And then my father didn't come back because I found out later he cried to me and told me that he just didn't think he could do it. And I can understand Mm. now, but it was, you know, you just don't understand that as a child. But I was the older daughter of these three little sisters. And even though I was only 13 with my grandmother and all these kids, I just felt I had to do something to get my little sisters to be happy, Charlie. And Mm. so I think that's where that started with me wanting to be an example for girls, even though I was a girl. And then being a tall girl and thin girl, I remember one of my cousins, my mother's age, said, oh, wow, you're tall and cute. You could be a model. And at the time, I didn't know what a model was. But looking at her face, looking at me made me feel good. And I needed to just grab and hold on to anything that would make me feel good. And so Mm. I held that thought. And then years later, maybe about the time I was maybe 15 or 16 for sure, I knew what a model was, and that was alluring to me. And I held on to that dream, and there's a lot of stuff in between that. And so I majored in fashion in college, and I did become a model. I married the kind of man I dreamed about. He was going to be a basketball player, and I was going to be a model. He was handsome, right? (laughs) (laughs) He was fun. He was a lot of fun. We met in college, and We just had a good time together and he was really soft-spoken and a gentleman. But the thing about it in my little narrow mind is that he was non-traditional because he wasn't going to have a nine to five because I was going to be traveling. And it's really naive because I didn't know a lot about being a model, but I just wanted to be that. And, you know, my dream life became a real life because my husband and I did get married after college and he was drafted to the Golden State Warriors. And... We just had this phenomenal life, you know, having the babies we wanted, traveling. I was a model in Milan and Paris and New York. And my third child, I'm a mom of four. So I just have to ask one question. Sure. Did he he have a great outside shot? (laughs) Well, he was a big guy, but he did have a really great outside shot, too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he caught you. So that's a good outside (laughs) shot. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Right. Um, that's Rick Brown. So Rick and I really did. We had just the best life and we were just really happy and just a great family life and extended family. And as I was saying, in 96, our baby, who was almost four, fell in our pool and drowned. So we had a paradigm crash and that whole fantasy life that we had lived for about 15, 16 years just fell apart. And mm. It was very tragic. It was very, very hard. It's a, to yes. date the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. But I'm very happy to say, Charlie, that I did go through it. It took a long time. But the thing about me is that I knew that if I didn't laugh again, I was going to lose my whole family. Mm-hmm. Because I've always had the kind of laughter that drew people in and inspired people. So my prayer was, please, God, just let me laugh again. Mm -hmm. And God answered my prayers. And of course, I did a lot of work. Yeah, I was going to say, so how did you begin laughing again? I know that's in the book, but 
if yeah. you can share with us. Because, I mean, I just to create the context of this, you know, it's amazing. There you were at a very young age, you know, when you were growing up, right? 13. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such a seminal moment in a girl's life. Your teen years to lose your mother and right father and then have to take charge is what you just said of your life at that point and make that kind of decision. Where do you think that came from? Well, one of the things that my father used to say when I was growing up, he would always call me a hellion and I didn't know what that meant, but it just didn't sound good. And so I tried to ignore it. (laughs) And I remember when I was adult, my father died when he was 54. And I remember going to his hospital room and I always wanted, I was like, well, daddy, was I really a hellion? And I knew Mm -hmm. what it was by then. And he shook his head and he said, yes. (laughs) And so I think that's kind of, you know, having that kind of a spirited, rambunctious being between four boys growing up because my sisters were really little girls and I grew up between those four boys. It just gave me a fight within me. Moxie. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of where I got it from, you know, my birth order. Yep. And taking charge because I tend to do that now. And also I think that I had no choice. I just had to be that way. It's so interesting because I just love what you just said just there. This is so about this notion of, you know, what this program is about and what we're trying to have conversations with people about killing retirement is because so often I'm in the financial side of the world and I work with people all the time. And when they say they have no choice, it's the opposite of what you just said. So many people get stuck in life and they say, you know, this is just my lot. I have no choice. You just used those same words and meant the opposite. That is such an amazing distinction. I just want to make sure our listeners hear because I really want to get at the you know, language I know, you know, is so powerful because you're a coach, you know, right. and people, they're not as specific with their language as they should be. And then when they are, it's so powerful, right? When you set a goal and you're specific. I remember I, my first wife, we were going to California and she said, I want to be on The Price is Right, the TV show, The Price is Right. And so her big thing was she wanted to be on The Price is Right. And long story short, she was the last contestant called up. And she got up there, and when she had to bid on the items, she was $5 under the right price. And some woman who was like thousands of dollars over ended up winning the car. And my point to the story, Chloe, was after the show, I went up to her and I said, you know, if you had said I wanted to win on The Price is Right, you would have won the car. But all you said was you wanted to be on The Price is Right. (laughs) the distinction? Yes. (laughs) You know? So back to what you said, which is, I had no choice. And yet you made choices, right? You made choices. So can you talk a little bit more about that? What was that like? And I know you had to do it again. I don't know, but I can only empathize that when you lost your child, you had to make a choice. Because a lot of people don't recover from that. Right. Well, I guess being having that fight in me, I remember, yeah, that hellion. I remember when I was about 14, I told my grandmother what I wanted to be when I grew up. I told her that I wanted to be a model. And she was the sweetest woman. Oh, my gosh, she was so sweet, very angelic. And I said, Grandmommy, I want to be a model. And she looked at me and she held that look and she said, you better get off your high horse. (laughs) And I thought in my mind, I looked back at her. Of course, I didn't say anything, but I thought, 
wow, grandmommy just doesn't know. And I had no clue how I was going to do it. But I realized I couldn't tell everybody what I really wanted because it was too big for them. Mm. It was too big for the small thinking people in Mississippi that I was growing up around. But it wasn't too big for my mother's cousin, who was my grandmother's niece, to tell me that I could be that. And so I, I started to realize that I had to share certain things with certain type of thinking people. And when I was 16, my aunt Anita and my uncle Arverne saw that I needed something more. And I had started to get into trouble, you know, not real trouble because it, you know, it was not that much real trouble at the time you could get into in rural Mississippi. But they noticed that I needed something more and they came to get me. And at that point, they provided the opportunities for me that you only dream about. And they started to tell me who I could be and not who I couldn't be. And I could be anything I have chose to be is what my aunt would tell me. And it was just a beautiful family with my two first cousins, a girl and a boy around my age. And I just had an immediate family and the neighbors were all, they were into me. They went out of their way to eat the women. It was kind of like my own girl swag for me. They had different things that they would do with me. Dr. Beckley, Gemma Beckley would teach me how to answer questions as though I was going to be in a pageant or be on TV. And this was at 17. I remember Mrs. Radcliffe would show me how to do my hair. And then there was Moise, the fun one, who was really the more intellectual one, even though there was Dr. Jim Beckley, who's brilliant in her own right. But Moise was so fun and we all laughed together. So they embraced me and they assured me that I could be and do anything that I wanted to do. And so that set me up for where I am now. And I was just about 17 and 18, just about to go off to college. So you've really discovered at an early age the power of mentorship, support, of surrounding yourself with, I mean, like-minded people, but your mind was becoming like those, right? Absolutely. And I remember when I came into business right out of college, I had a mentor and he gave me a challenge for what I had to do my first year in business. And I spent the first seven, eight months telling everybody he was crazy and there's no way I could produce that kind of result and do that much business. And one day my brother, he's a pretty wise man, PhD, this is like August, he looked at me and he said, you know, why don't you just make your mentor right? <laughs> I, looked at him, I said, what? He said, well, you know, you have a choice in life. You either make people that believe in you wrong or you can just make them right. What, what does it cost you to make them right? And I thought about that the whole night. And the first thing in the morning, I walked into my mentor's office and I said, the man's name was Hillard. I said, Hillard, I'm going to make you look so good by the end of the year that you won't even know what happened. And he just looked up and smiled at me and I walked out and then I ran to the bathroom and threw up because I was like, how am I going to make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> but you but I already, did. Already but I, did. I achieved the goal he set for me, which was an impossible goal my first year in business. And I stopped complaining about it and focused on the how, right? So I love how you were able to surround yourself at such a young age. So well, you now, got initially okay. now I was placed in that situation because my aunt and uncle made a conscious decision to come get me and provide that platform for me. However, when I went off to college and beyond, 
I was putting myself in those situations based on how I was thinking. Even though I didn't know it, Charlie, at the time, the way I was thinking was the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. And I attracted to myself exactly what I wanted. Talk more about that. Give me like a specific example of of when you began to discover that. And we're not talking for our listeners the law of physical attraction here. We're talking the law of attracting the kind of people, the connections, the power, the spirit, right? The things that make you better, make you more of who you are. Authentic, authenticity, right? Well, I noticed, now, of course, I didn't intentionally know anything about the law of attraction until probably my late 20s. And this was, you know, several years after college. Mm -hmm. But I noticed about six months after being at my aunt and uncle's house, when I was interacting with other students and my classmates, how the way I was speaking would turn them around. See, no one had ever been into me like that before. And it was almost as though the things that I said mattered to the other students. They admired me. They liked me for who I was being. And the more they liked me for who I was being, the more I wanted to be that, my Mm. real self. And by the time I got to college, I saw that girls my age really admired me and they looked up to me just for me being myself. And then there were other girls that were intimidated by me, but I was so into just being myself that I didn't even notice it. And so by the time I, became a model, you know, I, this was growing up in Mississippi at Mississippi State University. And then when my husband was drafted by the Golden State Warriors out in Northern California, I had intentions to go to New York. But then when I went to visit him, I realized that there was a market in San Francisco. So that's where I started my professional career. And that was a big transition from being Mississippi sophistication to the urbanity of San Francisco was just night and day. I had to reinvent myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's when I actively started to figure this whole thing out that I needed something more. And I gravitated to a book, The Magic of Thinking Big. And that was Mm -hmm. really the first book that they didn't talk about the law of attraction. But when I look back on it, it was all about the way you think and you got to think big. And so I needed to think big if I was going to transition from Mississippi to San Francisco. And that was the really beginning of it. Wow. So let's jump ahead to this unfortunate stage in your life. You're on this trajectory. You and your husband is playing professional basketball. You've got your career. You're raising your kids. And then your world comes crashing down around you. How did you learn to laugh again while grieving? Well, I made it intentional that because I had laughed so much and I had been so happy and I saw that the good that could bring me and what it could attract to me and how much good I was sharing with other people. It dawned on me that I hadn't laughed for a long time. And then when I did, I was out at a restaurant with my family, some sisters and girl cousins and some of my best girlfriends. They really want me to get out. And I remember that one of them says something and I laughed out loud. And immediately I looked around the restaurant and then I said, what if someone sees me laughing? Mm. I really thought that I was not supposed to laugh or I felt that I hadn't consciously thought about it, but I realized at that moment, what if someone sees me? Why should I be laughing? 
And I realized that's the thing that was missing in my life. And that if I didn't genuinely laugh again, authentically, that I would probably lose my marriage, that I would lose my family, that nobody would want to ever be around me because my energy was going to be repulsive and not attractive. And so I got that. And so I prayed so hard for days, please, God, just let me laugh again, real, authentic. And so I decided at that moment that I really wanted to be happy again. And it took me months Mm -hmm. to start to, you know, to work through that. And then even once I'd made the decision that I really wanted to be happy and I wanted to laugh, I could laugh. But then it took me years to even work back to be fully back to where I was. But it started with me making that decision. Right. You consciously making that choice and then working towards that bigger, brighter future. Were you coaching at the time or were you still modeling? What stage of your life were you in? I was still modeling. So Justin was almost four and I stopped modeling internationally, but I started again just locally with Atlanta, Chicago, maybe Miami. And I was really happy with my family, with my life. So Justin died in September, and that was a busy fashion season. But Mm. around the holidays, everything kind of stopped. So I had to stop too. And that's when my real pain started. And that's when I could look at myself and see how I was. But I saw my husband look at me. He looked at me. I was probably very disheveled and not been doing very much with him and the children. And he said to me, you need to call the priest. And Charlie, I can't tell you what I said to him, but you can read it in the book. (laughs) 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 But when he looked back at me after saying what I said, that's when I knew how bad of a shape I was in just by the way my husband looked at me. Yeah. And that's when I realized I, I couldn't continue to go on that way. He held the mirror up in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. But Charlie, I can tell you this thing. It took a lot of intentional work. It was not easy at all. At the time, I was like, how did I get through with my mom's death? And then I would say, well, that was my mother. That was easier. But it really wasn't. It was a lot of time. And then it was other people helping me to be able to laugh again. But this time it was all on me. Wow. Just from there on would just be a conversation, which is your book. And I'm just so grateful you're sharing that. So our listeners can get a copy of How to Laugh Again While Grieving and read that story. So how did you then transition yourself from that place to being so present and available and sharing yourself with so many people? So I've always been kind of a positive encourager to you know, women and girls, starting with my Mm -hmm. sister and other models. And so probably about a year after that, me seeing my husband, I was working with a group of young women, much younger than me as a model. And we had worked together before. And this young girl told me that her brother died from a motorcycle accident. And I felt so badly for her. And so I started to share with her just some words, some wisdom I didn't even know. I was just being my natural self and wanting to encourage and inspire her that she could be happy again. And so I didn't see her for maybe a month. And we 
work together again. And she was really happier. And she said, well, I'm on it and my mom's on it. And I said, well, what are you on? And she said, what you told me. <laughs> and I, I was so impressed with it. I liked that. I liked the feeling that, wow, I really helped her. Yeah. And there was another model. She says, well, if you can put it in a pill, I'll get on it. And I just thought, oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, you know. <laughs> you can call it the Chloe pill. <laughs> but I like that. And that was the beginning of me thinking, wow, mm. I can share what I've gone through to help someone else. And so little by little, I started sharing. I guess each little happiness that I would get, I would share with someone else. And then before you know it, someone was saying, oh, could you talk to so-and-so because they lost their child or their mom just died. And so it's kind of a natural kind of a thing. But Charlie, I didn't want to be a model anymore. I wanted to be something more, but I didn't know how to do it. So then I started to get really depressed because I just didn't know how. And -hmm. then I would take these courses. I went back to Mississippi State and I was going to do, but I couldn't connect my life dots. And then one of my friends or someone introduced me to their coach. And that was the beginning of my huge, my big aha transformation. It was the coach. The therapy got me out of the paradigm crash, but it couldn't take me high. Mm. And so it was me being coached that changed my whole life again. And after being coached for about a year and a half, I went to visit these people that I had only just spoken to on the phone. And, you know, they helped me so much. And when I went to visit to take a course, they encouraged me to be a coach. And they said, you know, the least of all these people that we've been training all these years, but you seem to do so much with it. And I didn't want to be a coach. I was doing my own coaching and inspiring. And I was doing the mentoring because I'd always been a mentor. Mm -hmm. But they trained me of how to package, not their type of coaching, but how to put together all of the things that I loved and package it up and make it work. And that's kind of how it happened. I mean, it's right back to where you were a a young girl, but now you're taking all this stories, your power, your commitment, your focus, your passion, your courage, and really your wisdom and making that the gift to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see, when you say wisdom, I think of there's the intellect and I use that. But then there is that wisdom that comes from a deeper place that comes from being present and being connected to your higher self, your higher self and a higher power. And so I've been able to wrap all of that around my authentic Chloe-ness to make it work. And I'm not bragging, but the results that my people get in corporate America, it blows their mind because first of all, they don't look at me as a type of corporate coach. Right. They, they When I walk in, they think, oh, here comes a model, mm. which well, I used so, to be really insulted by. <laughs> yeah, but you know who you are. So that gets me, and I want our listeners to know about this. You created something you call the Personal Excellent Profile. Yes. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you've packaged up this wisdom and this intellectual capital and this view of how to be authentic in life and real and committed to what you're doing. 
how does the personal excellent profile help in that process? It is an extraordinary tool. And my coach, who's one of the most brilliant men that I've ever met, helped me to create that because remember, they wanted to help me to package up everything from what I was already doing. So the PEP, the Personal Excellence Profile, is an assessment tool that a person, only they have to do is be truthful and honest with themselves and answering these questions. And it comes back with 12 vital abilities from how you value yourself, how well you perceive. We talked about wisdom and knowledge, how well you perceive, how well you make decisions, the way that you communicate those decisions, build rapport, interact, act, how well you're producing based on what the action that you're taking. You know, Charlie, a lot of people can do a lot of acting, but they don't produce anything. So that shows you, and not just shows you where you are, but how to create your own breakthroughs and This is what's so extraordinary about this tool as opposed to all the other tools and assessments that people were using, my clients. And it takes you all the way through how to have certainty, to command, that's your leadership ability, how well you're expanding, and how well you can accomplish what you have decided. Just when we talked about me deciding that I wanted to laugh again, well, if you look at me now, you can say, well... Chloe certainly did accomplish that decision. When she decided she wanted to laugh, she Mm -hmm. sure did accomplish that. So it doesn't matter if you make something as small as wanting to be a person who laughs a lot or a person who I'm deciding that I want a chocolate cake. Well, you have to decide if you're going to bake it yourself, if you're going to go to the baker, what baker are you going to go to? Or if you're going to run for President of the United States of America. You, it's just the decision. <laughs> Ooh. Oh. <laughs> well, the decision shall is I the ask decision. If, shall I ask if that's in your future? Oh, no. Madam no. President? Madam oh, President? No, not at all. I wouldn't know how to be correct. You know, I want to be myself. I'll share uh, a <laughs> joke. This morning, I called a friend of mine up and I said, I've made a decision after yesterday's votes. I've decided I'm going to run. And I have the bumper sticker. Are you ready, Chloe? Tell me. My bumper sticker says, two Jews, one election. Oi, who knew? (laughs) Sanders versus Epstein. (laughs) That's fine. So is that on your bumper sticker? Uh, I just made the bumper sticker up today. But Ah. that's my karmic comedian in me. I did stand up in New York City for a while. So how do our listeners get attracted to you? And take this personal excellent profile and discover you, your book, your work, and work with you. You can go to ChloeTaylorBrown.com for the personal excellence profile yep. uh, assessment. And take that assessment. It, it explains it to you, what it is, what you'll get back. And then you just answer questions. They're so easy. They're very thought-provoking, but they're easy questions you know, the first one, so you have big goals and dreams. Yes, sometimes or no. You just answer it for the way that you answer. It's not about how you want to be or how you used to be, but it's about how you are right now. And then you can also go to that same website, ChloeTaylorBrown.com, and contact me by sending me an email through that if you want to know more about anything. And all of my books are on 
Amazon.com, or you can go to barnesandnoble.com. And my last book, my fourth book is I Can Laugh Again, From the Valley of Grief to a Glimpse of Heaven. And it's wow. everywhere books are sold. So I just really appreciate your taking time out from the gift that you are to the world and the people that you work with. And it's clear to me that whoever you touch and embrace, you just have such a lasting impact because of where you've walked from and where you're walking to and just how sincere and authentic you are about your work. I just really, really appreciate it. And I'm so grateful for you joining me here today and having this amazing conversation. I just kind of ask you one last question, you know, because I've invited you on here to just talk about this notion of killing retirement. And how did that register for you? Did you have a thought about that that you want to leave us with? Well, you know, I was thinking about that in the intro. I've never, ever thought of myself as retiring from anything. I love what I do. And I have created the work that I do from who I'm being. And I think that if people could look at themselves and be present and be truthful with themselves, who am I? Who can I become from who I am and what I love? And how can I package that up so that I can share more of myself or create more of what I want to create? And then that way you just continue to live and share and be yourself and you don't have to think about retirement. And if you can package it in a way that you can sell it, leverage it, where you're helping people and you're getting a return on your investment, then you don't have to retire. Just keep being yourself and you keep being rewarded financially, spiritually, emotionally, aesthetically. You know, we want to look good too. Yeah. So I just think you just keep going and keep living the life and keep knowing that you're blessed and giving thanks for that and sharing your life. That is so perfect to what we're up to. And I thank you for just sharing yourself that way with that, because that's the conversation that we're having with folks and we have in our work. Clients say to me all the time, now that I'm getting older, uh, <laughs> they look at me now and they say, when are you going to retire? And I look at them, Chloe, and I say, you mean this isn't my retirement? <laughs> <laughs> you mean I'm not retired working with you? I thought this is my retirement. You know what? I better go take a vacation and work. <laughs> so I've decided when I go on vacation, that's work. And when I come back in this work, that's my retirement. So, Well, you know, you can just share with people to just be themselves. That seems to me what you're doing, Charlie, just being yourself. And yep. you figured out a way to make it your life's work. Absolutely. You know, and it's you've discovered and I discover every day, it's an evolutionary process and there's no end in sight. And best I can tell, that works really well. Yes, it's, it's working being, well. You know, and I know you're very spiritual and we didn't get into this and I am myself. But, you know, it's listening to the tea leaves. It's letting whoever God is for you and whatever higher power, you know, you listen to being open to following the voice in that kind of journey. So. I think it's amazing. Well, I do too. And I just want all of us to live our best life. And we can. We just have to be present as though you've said in the, earlier in the show, be present and know who you are and take a chance on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. No risk, no reward. <laughs> so thank you, Chloe. I appreciate it. This has been an amazing conversation. Your story is inspiring. And just the sheer fact that at such a young age, you just kept putting yourself out there even though the world kept 
throwing adversity at you. You know, so many people would just crawl into a hole and never come out. So I'm just delighted that we've connected and I look forward to, and I know we will connect again many, many times. And thank you for being present here. Thank you for taking the time out. Thank you for sharing these keys to living your best life now. And it's just been a great, great conversation. So again, why don't you tell everybody one more time how they can connect with you and be in touch with you. You can connect with me on my website, ChloeTaylorBrown.com. And if you want to Google Chloe Taylor Brown, if you forget the website, just find me there. But you can always find me on social media, Chloe Taylor Brown, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, Instagram. And I love it when people tweet me. So that's <laughs> at Chloe T. Brown. Yes, my kids laugh at me all the time because they think it. that you shouldn't be on social media at my age, but I love it. I'm just learning it, but I'm still like one of my longtime idols, Howard Schultz, who I remember him being on a talk show with the guy who created Twitter and he turned him and said, I don't tweet. (laughs) 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 I guess I shouldn't be on the show with you. So thank you so much, everybody. I'm Charlie Epstein. Remember, you can go to our webpage, www.killingretirement.com. I'm the man in America who's killing this notion of retirement and connecting you with people like Chloe Taylor Brown and connecting you really with yourself and living this authentic life, living all of who you are and not surrendering to some other notion. Go ahead and click onto the RSS feed to get our Killing Retirement podcast delivered to you each month. We really want to come into your home and share these messages. And of course, you can always reach out to me at C.D. Epstein at the T-H-E 401k coach.com for answers about how we can help you kill this notion of retirement. I'm Charlie Epstein. I'm the man in America killing retirement. Thanks everybody for listening.